I need to present a model of the world in order to illustrate what I'm going to say. So think of the world as a family that's just inherited $10 million and they decide that they're really going to live a good life now because everything's all right. So they start spending $500,000 a year without doing anything. That's known as living off the, off the principle, not living off the interest. It's something that you can only do for so long. Then consider that all of the diversity in the world, all of the plants and animals, all of the people, everything that we consider civilization and everything that we treasure has evolved during the 4.5 billion year history of the world, the 3.8 billion year history of life on Earth, the 440 million year history of life on land into communities and ecosystems and aggregations of organisms that support us in every sense of the word, physically, in terms of our food, our medicines, in the aggregate, in terms of protecting our watersheds and our coastal zones and our prairies and our soils, spiritually and aesthetically, in terms of providing refreshment for us and inspiration for much of our art and much of our culture. And then consider what's happened to this wonderful, array of living things that supports our life over the last 50 years in the 2 million year history of human beings on Earth and in the 3.8 billion year history of life on Earth. In the last 50 years, while the human population has been going from 2.5 billion people to its present level of 6 billion people, we have wasted 25% of the topsoil on Earth we have lost 20% of the agricultural land on Earth so that we're feeding 6 billion people with 80% of what we were feeding 2.5 billion people with 50 years ago. We've added one-sixth to the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, pushing us on towards increasing global temperatures, which here in Arizona, you might note, are not a real good idea. We've lost 8% of the stratospheric ozone layer, so we've increased the incidence of malignant skin cancer for people living in the United States by about 20%. We've cut a third of the forest, and we've driven the rate of extinction of plants and animals up to a, about 1,000 times what it's been for the last 65 million years, and are driving the process of extinction so rapidly that as many as two out of every three kinds of organisms on Earth, about, about uh, five-sixths of them unknown even to science, never seen, never understood, never appreciated, are likely to be gone, depending on the steps that we take, by the end of this century. The great American conservationist Aldo Leopold said the first rule of intelligent tinkering is to save all the cogs and wheels. That is not intelligent tinkering. We are not engaged in intelligent tinkering. We're engaged in massive stupidity. How did we get into this mess? It was only 400 generations ago that our ancestors developed agriculture, crop agriculture, and began to be able to increase their numbers 400 generations, 10,000 years ago, the population of the entire world was about equivalent to the population of Arizona at the present time. There were several million people populating Eurasia, Africa, Australia, North and South America together, wandering around as bands of hunter-gatherers, often living pretty good lives off the abundant 
mammals and foods and seeds and berries that they had to gather then. But starting 10,000 years ago, the population shot forward from its level of several million to a few hundred million at the time of Christ, to half a billion in the late medieval times, a billion people at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, two billion by 1930, two and a half billion by 1950, and now six billion. It would be a terrible mistake, though, to assume that numbers of people are the only problem confronting the world. It is really the relationship between numbers of people, the pressures that those people put on the earth through their affluence or consumption rate, and the technologies that they use, technologies that you will all be challenged one way or another to try to improve and to understand better during the course of your careers. Although we are isolationist in the United States, it's our brand, four and a half percent of the world population living in our country consumes and uses about 25 percent a full quarter of the world economy. Given that, anyone who does not understand our terrific degree of interconnectedness and the absolute dependence that we have on other nations and other people around the world to maintain our standard of living, or who is responsible for putting the United States in the position of denying a proper stake in international assistance, in internationalism and involvement around the world, those people are not only fools, but those people are people who are completely destructive to the long-term prospects of the United States. There is no way in which we can think about supporting our standard of living or what we enjoy in this country until we realize that worldwide sustainability, peace, prosperity, health, social justice, equality is necessary for us to maintain what we need. George Schaller, the great conservationist at the World Life Conservation Society in New York, put it succinctly, we cannot afford another century like this one. We cannot afford to continue to invade our principle. We must begin to live off the interest that the world provides, and that's what's known as sustainability. How did I get so involved in all of this? I started in San Francisco. I was born in China. I lived there a year until 1937. Lots of memories, lots of deep feelings about China, which have led me to a great preoccupation with China and East Asia in my own scientific career. But came to San Francisco in 1937, grew up there, was carefully nurtured by the student section in the California Academy of Sciences in San Francisco, which really provided me with interesting activities and a social context during the whole time I was a teenager joined the Sierra Club at age 12 in 1948 and spent my whole teenage years, uh, about two months each summer, working on Sierra Club outings in the high Sierra Nevada in California, studying plants and being thrilled by the discoveries that I could make. Undergraduate degree at Berkeley, a PhD at UCLA, and teaching at Stanford put me in Stanford during the 1960s when inspired by Rachel Carson's 1962 Silent Spring, and an awakening feeling that world population was getting out of hand and was hammering the resources of the world in a way that would be intolerable, the United States as a whole led forth to an Earth Day in 1970 
when one out of one out of 10 people in the United States, 20 million people actually went out to an Earth Day celebration. That's a greater number than are watching Survivor on television at the present time, if you can believe it. And they didn't just turn on their set, they went somewhere and did something about it. This led to the key environmental legislation in the United States, to the Stockholm uh, Conference in 1972, when Indira Gandhi inspired the world to think seriously about sustainability on to the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro, on to a disillusionment with the ability of governments and international organizations to do the job for all of us, on to the feeling that if anything, we had to do the job for ourselves, on to a feeling that businesses and corporations and all of us had to work together. If you enjoy a world that produces Bob Marley and Mozart Emily Dickinson, Shakespeare, poetry, literature, all the good things that we celebrate as civilization, it is up to you individually and collectively to work for a world that will nurture people on a sustainable basis. One of the most important things that you can do aside from working for technical solutions is to value diversity in the United States and abroad. I was much taken by the discussion of diversity yesterday, and I would simply say that discrimination worldwide, as in the United States, is wrong, not only because it is immoral, abhorrent, and totally unreasonable, but because it denies us collectively the ability to benefit from one another's brains and skills and ability to contribute to our common future. We just can't do it, and valuing diversity as Bernardine Healy brought out so well in her one-size-fits-all analogy, is not simply a matter of tolerating other people while they do what we think is best. It's a matter of valuing and cherishing other people because of what they do themselves. Be involved in politics. Vote. This is supposed to be a democracy. Politicians care, and if you don't recognize that, you deserve exactly what you get. Encourage groups. Everything in the world is not going to be destroyed. The world is not going to be sustainable or unsustainable, or better said, it will be sustainable at some point. And the choice that you have is, what will that point be? The world, a hundred years from now, will be a patchwork of places that are beautiful, healthy, prosperous, interesting, and nurturing, and places that are depleted, used up, converted into cash, if you will, or gone. The way that the nature of that patchwork will be developed in the sustainable world of the future presents the greatest opportunity that any generation of people have ever had, and that opportunity is yours. As Gandhi put it, the world has plenty to satisfy every man's need, but never enough to satisfy their greed. We need the world, the world needs us. It's a wonderful time that you're entering college and it's a wonderful time that you're going forward into your careers. You have the intelligence and the tools and the privilege to make extraordinary contributions and I am sure that you will make them. Thank you.
One question, make it good. <laughs> um, in economics, there's sort of the sense of the invisible hand regulating the economy. In a sense, do you believe that there's sort of an invisible hand regulating um, sort of nature, in that sense by extension, society and population growth? Uh, two comments about that. Econom economic laws will eventually regulate what happens in all of these systems, but the lag time is so slow that the nature of the systems you end up with will be profoundly changed by the choices you make and by getting to a state of equilibrium. On the second and bigger picture, certainly the world is a composite of natural processes and natural organisms which have evolved to their present situation over the past 3.8 billion years and which human beings now consuming half of the natural productivity of the world and more than half of its water are using rapidly and are destroying the fabric of and that fabric, that understanding, those laws and those principles based on loving, cherishing and appreciating one another and building societies that will work are what will determine the future. It is certainly an intricate, interwoven system that we're manipulating. And in that sense, I think you could use either a Gaia hypothesis or an or a, or a, uh, invisible hand hypothesis for thinking about it and dealing with it. We don't understand enough to do it right. And we've all got to learn more. And we'll learn more. Go to it.